We're inundated with some apocalypse clowns and cobwebs. And because the night jars are here, we're going to take some vacation friends off to Fool's Paradise. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Adam Ball. And this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. So, hello and welcome back to the show. we got a load of brand new movies to talk about today. Uh, we're going to look at Acopolix, a pop, uh, <laughs> I can't even say it, Apocalypse Clown. Acropolis? <laughs> Never heard of that one. Uh, Cobweb. <laughs> Cobweb as well in a moment. But uh, let's start with uh, Fool's Paradise. So all I know about this one, Van, is mm-hmm. Kate Beckinsale is in it and it's a Cheers. comedy. Yeah, no, I'd forgotten Kate Beckinsale was still like, I haven't seen Kate Beckinsale anything in years. Remember when Kate Beckinsale used to be in movies? Yeah, I know, oh, right? God, thems were the times, weren't they? Right. That, funnily enough, just before we started recording, I had to turn my TV off, and you, you, it was kind of amusing to me. The thing I was watching was It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on Netflix. Uh, you know this about me. I'm a huge It's Always Sunny fan. I'm also a big Pacific Rim fan. So, uh, Pacific Rim fan. so um, Charlie Day, big... Uh, a big support of Charlie Day in my household. I always, I always love to see Charlie Day in anything. This is a movie written by, starring, and directed by Charlie Day. And it's also got not. I don't know if he's credited, but he's he's sort of involved with it. He's been a sort of sounding board at the very least. Guillermo del Toro attached. So Guillermo del Toro has been sort of coaching Charlie Day uh, through making this film. So it's called Fool's Paradise. This came out on Monday on digital, and it came out very quietly. And the minute I heard him, like, we have to include it. I, I've been dying to see this movie. Uh, I saw a trailer. I thought, oh, it's Charlie Day doing silent comedy kind of a thing. I'll, I'll go for that. Like, that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> I would come to regret this decision, as we'll discuss. Oh, no. <laughs> I really would. Um, but, of course, the appeal of Charlie Day is, you know, he's sort of the new Bobcat Goldthwaite, if you know your, your 80s comic references. And... Um, so, this is the story of uh, a man named John Doe. He has no name. He's simply referred to as John Doe in the mental health facility in which he is a patient. At the onset of the film, we are told that he has the mental capacity of a five-year-old or a golden retriever. He will simply do what he is told. He will Im- imitate your behavior and just follow direction. Okay? Because he's, you know, just, just a hobo off the street who's in this, this health mental health facility, he's then just turfed out because it's, it's America, so he doesn't have the health insurance, you know, for the extortionate, you know, life-destroying bill that comes with, you know, getting treated for a stubbed toe in North America. Trust me on that one. Um, so he's turfed out onto the street where he happens into the eyeline of a, pa- of a passerby movie producer played by the late, great Ray Liotta. This was one of Ray Liotta's last roles. So Ray Liotta is a producer who's driving by, spots Charlie Day. At this moment, he's having trouble with uh, a prima donna movie star who's a bit of a method actor who's refusing to come out of his trailer. He notices that this guy looks an awful lot like him. So he thinks, I'll tell you what, I'll get this guy. We'll use him as the stand-in. We'll finish the movie with this guy. And and then uh, and then we'll, we'll we'll have a finished movie. We don't have to work with this awkward actor. Only for our John Doe, who starts to go by the name Latte Pronto because it's just a confusing thing. He keeps getting shouted Latte Pronto in front of him. He starts going by the name Lotto Pronto, Latte Pronto, to sort of 
fail upwards. He starts to become an overnight star, and he starts finding himself going through the full-blown Entourage-style studio system, where he's a megastar, where he gets the mega babe, you know, hot celebrity wife, played by Kate Beckinsale, where he, he has, like, a, a celebrity best mate, played by Adrian Brody, who's another sort of Christian Bale-like method actor, where he, he finds himself being sued, where he finds himself getting into scandals, and he has this this, this wayward, over-the-top, you know, aspiring talent manager, played by Ken Jeong. I've got a clip for you and this is uh, this is charlie day who has like no dialogue in this charlie day and adrian brody who just think christian bale on the set of a billy the kid biopic which is what the movie is billy the kid biopic dealing with just the rigors of being a prima donna movie star have a listen can i get you a coffee sir or did you want to sit let me get you a chair hey bud how you feeling whoa whoa hey 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 you were good you were good. I felt the fear. It was palpable. Yeah, I go half method these days. <laughs> Used to go full method, but uh, you know, some people got hurt. Not me. <clears throat> kind of like Tommy. You know. Couldn't handle it. Amazing how much you look like him. Huh? It's like it's truly remarkable. <laughs> it's uncanny. Can I get you guys some chairs? No, or... no, no. We're good. We're good. This movie has the scope from what you've said in the synopsis, to be a really funny comedy. Is it? Mm. No, that's the thing. I, I didn't find it. Some of the satirical stuff really works, um, but other stuff just falls flat. And it is in its attempts to be more broad in its comedy, where it starts to fall apart. Ostensibly, on the surface, what you've got a movie is, what you've got is a movie that's halfway between Robert Altman's The Player and Benny and June, with uh, where, where you had uh, Johnny Depp, playing you know, a, a, you know, a released mental health patient who thought he was Buster Keaton. You've got a very similar thing here, and Charlie Day's going for a very, very much a similar vibe. Now, Day is easily the best thing about this, both as a director and an actor, however not as a writer, because the script for this is garbage, and that's a shame. I know what it's trying for, but it just doesn't quite get there. And at the centre of it all is Ken Jeong going way, way too over the top with this just just very you know extra performance as as the talent manager very pitched way too high and i know that the character is meant to be fueled entirely by energy drinks and it sort of makes sense within that context but it's it's very throwing for what otherwise could have worked quite well as i say that wonderful combination between benny and june and the player uh, supporting cast, though, are a lot of fun. Um, you look at Kate Beckinsale, for instance, who I don't think I've enjoyed this much in a long time. It's Kate Beckinsale on pretty much strong form. This is kind of the Kate Beckinsale that we had 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, who I really miss, actually. I didn't realise how much I missed Kate Beckinsale as a movie performer, even though she feels like she never really got off the ground. She kind of got saddled with the underworld thing and kind of just fell into that and then went away really um also adrian brody now i've not had this much fun with adrian brody in a long time i've been trying to remember what movie it was that i saw adrian brody in recently where he was playing an italian i remember saying it verges on a hate crime like it's at the very least it's it's cultural appropriation i can't remember what movie it was now where he played like an italian mobster some action comedy might get maybe maybe it was uh, die hard maybe something like that um but he's a lot of fun here, and it's very obvious that he's sending up someone like Christian Bale. The only problem is, like I say, the script is rubbish, and you've got that Ken Jong performance. And I wish it weren't for those two things, because it, it it could have been something really, really good. And 
I say that as someone, I've got a lot of time for Charlie Day. And like I say, he very much is this generation's Bobcat Goldthwait, who himself kind of stopped being the performer and went into directing. directed an incredible movie about 10 years ago called God Bless America, which might be one of the definitive satires of the 2010s. But again, that didn't catch on really in the mainstream either, and this decidedly won't. And anyone who does come to this, pretty much like I did for the Charlie Day of it, is, I think, going to either not finish it, is either going to turn it off within half an hour, and this is rubbish, or they're just simply going to wander all the way through it and just go, oh, that was forgettable. I mean, it screams of the kind of movie that you see on Sky Cinema, you know, that, that Sky Cinema would sell pretty much for its star appeal and nothing else. And that is a real shame, given the wealth of talent to be found on screen. I mean, Ray Liotta, one of the fi- how do you waste one of the final performances of Ray Liotta? God damn it! Ray Liotta, man! Name one thing mm. that would have turned this movie around and made it a really good movie. Ken Jong dialing it down and a better script, so I'll give you two. But there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to uh, go and see it yourself, you can, um, because it is in uh, on it's demand. It's on digital. This is on, 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 on demand on digital, yeah. From Monday, isn't it? So, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you want to go and watch that uh, search and you shall find you can watch um all right so in a moment we are going to talk about the new movie cobweb now i don't know a lot about this but i'm guessing it's a horror movie yeah oh what a, what a stab in the dark that was <laughs> well we'll see what van thought of it in just a second all right stay there Hello and welcome back to the show. Let's crack straight on with another new movie that is out in cinemas from today. It's called Cobweb. I did allude to the fact that I thought it sounded like a horror movie moments ago, which was pretty obvious. Um, So, yes, Van, talk to me about Cobweb. That's what you get when you don't call the movie Teddy Bear, isn't it? You just assume. <laughs> you just assume a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, so Cobweb, which is, I think is the feature film debut of director Samuel Bowden, um, who has come really from TV, from the series Tank, uh, which I've not seen. Now, I, I do know the Batman short film that he made 10 or so years ago, back in 20, 2009, I think it was, uh, which was called Ashes to Ashes, did a Batman short. Not really a new thing. There's a, uh, there's a lot of very well-made Batman shorts, uh, sort of fan-made Batman shorts out there in the internet. I remember one from the early 2000s that involved the Predator that was absolutely banging. Um, but yeah, he, this is his sort of feature film debut. So uh, this stars uh, Anthony Starr and Lizzie Kaplan. So Anthony Starr, you'll know as Homelander from The Boys. Do you watch The Boys? Uh, no, well, not not, not no. regularly. No, I've I've no. not. No, it's it's. A, I've seen bits here and there, but not watched it intentively. You've clearly, not seen the right bits. Otherwise, you'd have watched the whole lot by now, Mister Ball. I know <laughs> you, you know what you, I'm you like. Bloody, you'd bloody love the boys. You're, 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 you'd be it's just be that catnip to you, the boys. It's kind of made for you, right? Okay, so you've got Anthony Starr, who's Homelander in the boys. You've got Lizzie Kaplan, uh, who I I still primarily think of as Janice Ian from Mean Girls, even though she now you know is more known for like Party Down. She played the Kathy Bates role in uh, Castle Rock, the Kathy Bates misery role in Castle Rock, the Stephen King series that kind of went all once upon a time with all the Stephen King canon. So she played yeah. uh, Annie. Wilkes, I think it is. Um, so, you know, both known for playing kind of darker characters. But this centers around their son, who's an eight year old boy who one night starts to hear a voice behind his bedroom wall begging him for help, you know, knocking on the wall, desperately trying to get out. Just, just 
pleading with him for help. And this obviously starts to give him you know, sort of night terrors and phobias. And his parents tell him, there's nothing behind the wall. So, you know, stop acting up. You know, he just like, goes to school, does his drawings and you know, draws like horrible images of the thing, you know, himself like in bed panicking about, you know, this 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 voice behind the wall. His, his teacher, who's played by, uh, oh, is it Cleopatra Coleman? I think it is Cleopatra. Cleopatra Coleman from uh, The Last Man on Earth. Uh, the uh, the Australian lady from from uh, uh, Last Man on Earth with Will Forte series I I love and miss fondly. Uh, she's a school teacher substitute teacher who starts taking interest, thinks he might be being abused, and starts to wonder just what's going on with him. Starts to ask too many questions and finds that his parents are acting a little bit shady. So you've got separately both the, both a little boy and the teacher just trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Not only with this alleged voice behind the wall but with the parents themselves. I've got a clip for you, and this is after the teacher has revealed the drawings their son has been doing to said parents. What kind of picture, Carol? A child. A child asking for help. What? I knew that you would jump to conclusions. You're telling me this now? That's just not possible. It's what I tell you about. Just don't... Stop. Peter, why would you draw a picture like that? No, you did not! No! You're grounded. Okay, Peter, go to your room. No, 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 Carol, he's grounded! He's going in the basement. Wow, okay. What, what's yeah. the, the actor like who plays the eight-year-old boy? Because, I mean, you know, is he, is he like the next, you know, big thing? I, do you know what? I think he's got real potential. Now, I've not seen him in anything. His name's Woody Norman. Uh, I've not seen him in anything else, but I know that he stars in uh, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is the new Dracula movie. It's like basically Dracula on a boat. We're going to be talking about it in a couple of weeks' time. Um, uh, incidentally, I've got a screener for you. We'll, we'll have to watch that together. and uh, yes. we'll watch, it, watch it together in sync from our, our respective homes, obviously, and compare notes. Uh, yeah. I know he's I know he's the, the boy on the boat in, in The Last Voyage of the Demeter. So I am intrigued because his performance here is great. His performance is really good. And as you can hear from the clip... Both Anthony Starr and Lizzie Kaplan are obviously really going for it. But to be fair, if you if you're gonna cast two actors as a shady married couple in suburbia, maybe don't get the actors who play Homelander and Annie Wilkes on telly. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I compared this recently. I was talking to uh, I, I was talking to uh, Petri Hoskin on uh, on on Talk TV the other night, and I was, I was talking about this movie, and I was, it's like having a whodunit and having one of the suspects be Ed Harris. You know what I mean? You're, you're kind of asking for trouble with that one, or like having a suspected rapist and the actor that you've cast is Robert Nepper, you know, or something like that. Robert Nepper, or who's the guy that played a Watchman in, in uh, plays a Rorschach in Watchmen? Getting that guy, you know what I mean? You're kind of just asking for absolutely no suspension of disbelief whatsoever. It's like Tim. It's that guy, you know. It's that guy there. It's it's, it's absolutely like kind of typecasting to a T. You're, you're asking for trouble. It would be more of a twist if there's nothing to them, kind of a thing. But you know, there's got to be something up with them because otherwise they wouldn't have cast these actors. Now, having obviously done, uh, you know, work on on television and, and in shorts, it's very obvious that Samuel Bowden has an eye for the atmospheric tension that really makes for a successful horror movie. And looking at something very recently, movies like Barbarian, The Boogeyman, for instance, and then this, this, for my money, is the best horror movie we've had since Barbarian at the tail end of last year. Barbarian absolutely made Last Halloween. That was the movie to beat Last Halloween. This 
I think has been released about a month too early. Because if you put this out for Halloween, this would have been a banger. This is great. This has got some proper jumps in it. I say I watched this with a friend of mine and we were, we were just we were jumping through the ceilings. It was really solid, really good. And I think definitely a more successful venture than the Boogeyman was. I think it, it, it although Boogeyman was really solid, I think it's built on its rep a lot better. I think the performances really make it. It's always nice to see Anthony Starr get to do, as you could hear in the clip, really shouting off the bat, like, ah, you know, that, that full-blown nuts. When Homelander loses it in The Boys, I know you've not seen enough of The Boys, and oh my God, you've got you've got to see more of The Boys, my friend. Please watch. You would love, you're going to, put it on on Prime, on Prime Video tonight, and honestly, you're going to be texting me within like an hour, being like, oh my God, how where has this been all my life? Like you, There's so you many love... movies and so many series that I haven't seen that I know you want me to watch. I haven't got enough time in my life to watch them all. The Boys is just sick, sadistic fun. But it's like dark comic book fun. It's yeah. like, what if, what if Zack Snyder had a sense of humour? Like, it's that level. Of, it's it's uh, produced and written by Seth Rogen. But it's uh, like... Well, I know I'll love it then. Yeah, but it's like the Justice League kind of characters. But what if they were all psychopaths? You know, rather like the Justice League characters in the Snyderverse actually are. But what if, you know, they were outright psychopaths? Kind of like that. Brilliant. And, they were, and then they are the bad guys. It's absolutely brilliant. Also, just worth it for Carl Urban as as, as the, the one of the leads. But no, enough about the boys. Sorry, I could geek out about the boys all damn day long. But no, we're talking about Cobweb. Cobweb is really good. When it gets to its big reveal, it doesn't actually disappoint either. And it does kind of live up to the name Cobweb, the sort of creepy, crawly nature of it, because it does really get under your skin. Its reveal of just what is actually going on is wonderful and i promise you it's not it's not quite as straightforward as i've laid it out to be even though it is a little bit formulaic even in its kind of double hander reveal it's a little bit formulaic but the way that it executes it is so effectively done it's such a lean refined you know very well executed spin of this particular dial that i think will come away going yeah yeah, that's that's a solid one. They released it too early. This would have done gangbusters at Halloween. Why the hell have you put this out at the start of September? Meh. Because I think this was released like uh, Barbenheimer week in the US. Like they dumped this out on Barbenheimer week. Oh, okay. That's or, or, or the week, really or the week early. after. I think it was either Barbenheimer week or the week after. So I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking because yeah. This is a rock-solid one for Halloween. But I'm doing the, uh, you know, the 12 Days of Halloween thing I did last year. I'm doing the, yes. another one this year. And this is this is going in. This is going in my 12 Days of Halloween this year, effortlessly. This was so good. Uh, good. And I'm really glad to hear you said that you know, there's some really good jumpy bits in it because mm. I hate a movie being billed as a horror movie and then you say, eh, not really many jumpy bits here and there. To me, you've got to have jumpy bits in a movie for it to be a horror movie, right? Yeah, totally. Also, I will say, I'm sorry, but as you can hear from the clip, when someone says, oh, no, no, he's going in the basement, you know something shady is about to go down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah nothing good's ever happened in a basement, as Barbarian <laughs> proved last year. <laughs> well, if you want to watch Cobweb, you can, because it's in cinemas from today. Go and enjoy and uh, just pretend it's Halloween, maybe. Uh, <laughs> right, still to come, we've got two movies to look at next, Apocalypse Clown and Then Come the Night Jars. Both of them in just a minute, so stay there. Stay there. 
Hello and welcome back to the show. All right, we're going to move straight on with something that's been adapted for the screen from a stage play, and it is called And Then Come the Night Jars. Now, to me, the title screams something about dreams, maybe, and nightmares. I don't know if I'm right or not. It's kind of a nightmare, but not in the way that you think. So, yes, adapted from a stage play, award-winning stage play. So I gather, like, quite an acclaimed stage play by, I think it's B. Roberts. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure it's B. Roberts adapted this for the screen. Yeah, B. Roberts has actually written it and uh, adapted it for the screen uh, as well. It's uh, and directed by Paul Robinson. Not my friend Paul Robinson, a different Paul Robinson. So this is effectively a two-hander. So it's a two-hander uh, between, you've got David Fielder as, uh, a, a, you know, an ageing, sort of ret- near-retirement age OAP kind of farmer, uh, runs a farm of livestock, and then you've got Nigel Hastings. Nigel Hastings. Nigel Hastings as uh, the local vet, effectively. Who's you know he's had his troubles. He's part of the community, but he's, he's had his troubles. Uh, our farmer, David Fielder's farmer, I think his name's Michael, is you know they're, they're quite friendly, and he's seen him through some bad times. But at the same time, all of this takes place during the two thousand one uh, foot and mouth outbreak. So we're literally told at the start of the movie, you know, in two thousand one, foot and mouth epidemic, you know led to that led to so many you know livestock having to be culled etc this was the law the government passed that any livestock within three miles of any outbreak would have to be put down now what you effectively have is nigel hastings's character the vet jeff having to we start out with a scene that establishes their friendship and then we jump uh, and you know as the as the outbreak is starting as inspectors are starting to come around as they start to say we've had an outbreak down the road you need to put your your livestock down. We then jump forward in time and we see the effect that this has had not only on each of the respective men, but on their friendship and their relationship with each other. We then have a further time jump that fleshes this out further. And it is about, let's say, partially the foot and mouth epidemic. It's ostensibly about that, but it's actually more about the effect that that outbreak had on the relationship and relationship relationship and lives of these two men. Have a listen. The government has decided that all animals within a three-kilometer radius of an infected farm are to be slaughtered and then burned on sight. You get off my farm! I'll blow your bloody head off! Michael, I've never seen anything like it. It's like a war. Let me help you. You won't do nothing. There's nothing I can do. You look me in the eye and tell me what you're going to do to my girls. Dr. Crawford. Please don't let them take my guns. Please, Jeffrey. I mean, I like these kinds of movies because I think it's a, a great way of showing everybody what, you know, farmers across the UK mm. had to go through at, at this moment in time. Things that we, as normal human beings that weren't farmers at the time, we wouldn't have had a, yeah. a clue about what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's 81 minutes long. So I don't imagine there's an awful lot been uh, been expanded upon from the stage play. I think there's probably more of a sense of, uh, of location. Obviously, I've not seen the stage play. Uh, if I would hazard a guess, I would presume that there is just more use of the natural environment and location uh, for the screen. But it, it clocks in at 81 minutes, so I don't think there's been much expansion otherwise. Um, it is, like I say, a two-hander. Uh, and the subject matter that it explores, as you point out, is that it works. It leads to some really quite profound character drama. Uh, David Fielder's performance in particular, really wonderful. I mean, as you, as you can hear from the accent there, this is set in Devon, and he's, he's really he's got that patois down. Uh, but the chemistry between the two between the two men 
is, it, I mean, it's, it, first of all, it's really arresting, it's really investable, but it's also quite heartbreaking. It's a really moving film. This is not the kind of thing, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not exactly catnip for a movie about a Devon farmer and his love of his cattle kind of a thing. But, oh my God, was I on the edge of my seat with this. Like, I really was. I was like, oh, I, I, I'm really feeling for this guy in the, in the circumstance. You know, and, and also, you kind of see both sides of it. Like, you do get, obviously, that, you know, Nigel Hastings' as Jeff character, the vet, kind of just has this put on him that, you know, it's his assignment to just go around with the bolt gun. And you, you, you really feel for him in that regard. It's, it, it's a kind of like, you know, you're down if you do, down if you don't. You, you, you see this from both sides. And you are heartbroken in equal measure for each of these two men. Absolutely wonderful performances. Uh, really, really well captured. I was really taken, I take very much a sense of place. Like you really, you know, get the sense of sense of atmosphere of this, this Devon farm and, you know, the, let's say the love of this man for his cattle and also how it ties into, you know, his relationship with his late wife, things like that. This is really something to catch, I think. No, no I've got to ask. <laughs> No. Well, I've got to ask, before we move on to our next movie, where did the mm. title and then come the night jars come, come into this? Uh, it refers to, I think, the night jars are the birds, are birds that they, 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 they sort of see around the, the farm, and I think it's a reference to, you know, the, the night jars coming around at a certain time of year or something like that, I think. Right, okay. I've got, I had to ask that, because, you know, going through the movie, as you did just then, mm. I'm sitting thinking, night jars? They didn't come into yeah. it at all. Yeah, you, you tell me it's a movie called And Then Come the Night Jars. I thought it was something to do with pixies or something. <laughs> yes. Like, British <laughs> horror movie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My mind went all sorts of places, so I'm mm-hmm. glad we've um, yeah. we've clarified that one. Um, <laughs> and Then Come the Night Jars, then, in cinemas from today, if you fancy a bit of that. Let's move on, then, to something you probably should avoid if you're not a fan of clowns. Um, it's called Apocalypse Clown. And I'm guessing again that this is this has got to be a horror, surely. <laughs> well, this one actually is the British horror movie. So this is directed and co-written by George Kane, who who works on uh, Inside Number Nine. I think he's directed a couple episodes of Inside Number Nine, which I didn't know that until after I saw the movie, and I probably could have guessed, to be really honest, because it has kind of that sensibility of it. This is this is what I would recommend to people who are uh, fans of like Psychoville, if you're fans of like the Reese Shearsmith kind of stuff, although it's not anywhere near as good as anything Reese Shearsmith ever put his name to. Okay, so this is about a group of clowns. I think in, in Ireland, I was going to say Wales, this is Ireland. It's about a group of clowns who um, unite, you know, they, they, they're struggling with, you know, the state of the clown industry. Such as it is, you know, clowns aren't as in demand as they used to be. You know, kids aren't interested in clowns anymore. They'd rather play their video games and watch TV and go on TikTok, you know, as we are literally shown early in the movie. And uh, I think it's, is it Bonzo? Is it Bozo? I'm trying to remember that. Bobo. Our lead is David Earl's Bobo, effectively, who, you know, it works at a hospital entertaining kids and he's just not needed anymore. The kids have no time for him. And he goes to the funeral of a renowned, famous clown where he unites with several other of his professional peers. So, you know, you've got a gaggle of clowns and a clown's funeral. You can imagine how this goes. <laughs> and uh, together with a, a local journalist, Jenny, with whom Bobo briefly had a, a much regrettable on her part one night stand. Um, they, they get into a scuffle, find themselves arrested and locked in the drunk tank, only to be let out the following morning to find that there has been a technological apocalypse. And society has kind of gone the way of Mad Max. 
and they set off to basically shorn of the dead their way through this. Obviously, technology is gone, society's gone primeval, and they only have each other and their very particular set of skills to rely on. So I've got a clip for you. This is them coming across a particularly buff savage uh, guarding a food truck. What was that? <laughs> There's nothing left to steal. Just move on and you come to no harm. Stay calm. I am a journalist and good one. Need the Smeaton fella. I know how to speak to perverts. Listen, by all means, have me a filthy way with him, but let the rest of us go. Oh my God. You're. You're. You're bleeding slightly. It's nothing. No, I think I think it's um I, th I think it's something serious. We should we should take your shirt off right now. Uh, listen to the man, Jenny. There's nothing for us to steal. Let's go, please. So you're a journalist. Not all over my face, huh? No, was literally the first thing you said. Yeah. Okay. So are they doing this and acting in this in full on like fluorescent yep. hair, red nose, big yep. shoes? Yeah. I'm not sure I'd be able to take any of it seriously. Well, I mean, to be fair, you're not really meant to. Like I say, it is going down that quite satirical horror route of something like uh, Psychoville, where they right. are sending you... It, it's surrealist comedy, uh, to an extent. Um, now, I would say this is going to... This is the kind of film that you'd see, like, premiere at Fright Fest, and, you know, late at night, maybe, they'd had a, maybe the audience would have had a few drinks and they might get into the fun of it. Obviously, I watched this in the cold light of day. And I pretty much found it a, a very much a two and a half star kind of affair. Like points for effort and everything, and the production design of it for you know, say an Irish, a cheap and cheerful Irish, uh, you know, horror comedy. Fair. I mean, it's no. Uh, oh God, what was the one with the zombie kids that I really like? I, I forget the name. Of it. it it doesn't quite measure up for my money. Like. The clown gag doesn't quite stretch as far as, as either the, the, the makers of the movie, you know, or the publicist would like you to think it does. It feels quite rote. It's the kind of thing that you could see done as a single episode of something like Inside Number Nine or something like that. But outside of that, it's quite ropey, it's quite cheesy, it's a bit, a bit too silly for its own good, which I know is odd to say about a movie about clowns. But uh, I say, though, I, there are a couple of performances in there that really go for it, and they go for it quite admirably. Uh, Natalie Palamides' uh, performance as Funzo, for instance, really goes above and beyond, and he's, it's you know there's a lot of weight being put on those very little shoulders. But other than that, I would say this is kind of a direct-to-DVD type thing. I wouldn't particularly spend the time going out to seek this one out this weekend. Well, if you want to make your own mind up, and you know that's my usual line there when bands say something's not great. Uh, Very diplomatic, aren't you? I know, I try to be. Um, Apocalypse Clown, it's in cinemas from today. Right, we've got one last ride in a moment. We're going to talk about Vacation Friends. Oh, it's Vacation Friends 2, isn't it? 2, yeah, yeah, 2, yeah. Yes, I haven't seen the first one, so that's going to be interesting. <laughs> we'll see what Van thinks of it next, all right? Hello and welcome back. Let's move on then. One last movie to chat about with Van. Um, Vacation Friends 2. I'm sure, hasn't this got the dude in from Con Air? The dude in from Con Air? No, no, I don't think it has. I thought no, Steve um, Bus is it Buscemi? Oh, Steve Buscemi, yes, yes, sorry. How am I bloody forgetting that Steve Buscemi was in Con Air? Jesus. Uh, right. It was the yeah, weird one, was wasn't he? He, he was uh, Garland Green. That's yeah, it. Yeah, he was the uh, Define Irony. 
but yes. dancing on a plane to a song <laughs> made famous by a band who died in a plane crash. Yeah, oh, him. love yeah. him. There was talk for a while that they were going to do a Con Air sequel just following that character, like as a fugitive, you know, out in the world on his I'll own. I'll be there. I'll be watching. I mean, it's been 25 years. Come on, man. Give us our, our, our new Hannibal. Come on. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I'll have some of that. Pour that in me. Right, so Vacation Friends 2, uh, which is uh, written and directed by Clay Tarver, who directed, of course, Vacation Friends 1, which I think was two years ago, maybe 18 months, two years ago. Um, went more or less straight to streaming. I think it went to Disney Plus slash Hulu. Went to Hulu in the US, Disney Plus in the UK. Uh, starred uh, Lil Rel Howley. Howley? Howry. And uh, Yvonne Orgy as um, Marcus. They're a married couple. Marcus and Emily, who go... Yvonne who? In... in Yvonne Orgy. Oh, it's actually it's actually it's, okay. I just check. Is it Orgy? Yeah, O R J I. Oh, okay. Orgy. Or I'm sure it's Orgy. But uh, they were the couple who go on vacation in the first movie. Met another couple who are Ron and Kayla, who are played by uh, Meredith Hagner and John Cena. They and they become their vacation friends. You know those friends you make while you're on holiday. Yeah. You never you never speak to again. <clears throat> but the whole thing was that they then show up after the vacation. But they're basically agents of chaos. Like they're wild partying, free balling, you know, class A abusing, you know, hedonists of the highest order. Completely inappropriate, you know, kind of thing. We've now got the sequel where, having, you know, actually become legitimate friends at the end of the first movie, the two couples reunite to now go on vacation again like, together, you know. They go to this this fancy resort. I forget where now. Is it might be where they're going in this one, actually. Hang on. It's uh, in Mexico this time. I, you don't get the sense that it's Mexico, trust me, because this could be any nondescript place because it specifically involves a Chinese company as well. So it gets even more confusing. So they go on vacation to Mexico, the two couples together. Uh, John Cena and Meredith Hagner's uh, couple now have they now have a baby together who they brought along uh, the maitre d from the first movie to as the babysitter and it so happens that in this movie what lil rel's kind of keeping from uh, and uh, emily's character keeping from the other couple is that they're going to stay on for a few extra days so that he as a as a property developer can take a meeting with the company that own this resort who have put them up there for free <clears throat> in order to design a new state-of-the-art hotel for them. However, they show up early for the meeting, they shift everything forward, so he kind of has to let the can out of the bag. He's there to impress this company. <clears throat> Sorry, forgive me. Uh, he's there to impress this company. Um, however, he kind of has these wayward agents of chaos friends to deal with as well, so he kind of has to keep them in line. However, that's not the end of his troubles, because Kayla's recently released Convict Dad also enters the mix and joins them on vacation, played by Steve Buscemi, who himself very much fits in with the whole Agent of Chaos theory. So I've got a clip for you, and this is Steve Buscemi being introduced to the group. I can't believe I'm actually here. Yeah, you know, neither can we. Yeah, man, it's crazy that, that, you, that you're here. I mean, if you don't mind me asking, why are you, why are you here? Guys, this is it's a crazy. He was literally just released from San Quentin. Just yesterday. Perfect timing, right? So wait, Kylie, you told him to come here? No! I mean, all I told him was like the hotel we were staying at and then classic my dad completely surprised us. Look, I have missed all the big events in Kyla's life. You know, the birth of her kid, the wedding, graduation from cool sculpting school. That one hurt. And her mom's death. May Jesus rest her beautiful, precious, lovely soul. God, I hated that witch. So after all that, I had no choice. I had to come crash your honeymoon. Right? <laughs> oh, we are so glad you did. 
I was about to say, so Steve Buscemi isn't quite a, as weird in this as he is in Con Air, but actually that last line, I retract yeah. that statement. Yeah, he, he's going for that kind of weird twitchy energy that he does so well. And he's like, it, it, the, the whole crack is, is he up to something? He's having a Steve Buscemi in, a, in, in, in one, of those, one of those cigar hats. You know, of course he's up to something. <laughs> he's got a Hawaiian shirt with a wide collar over a blazer and a, a, a Panama hat. You know, of course he's up to something. He's, he's Buscemi. Um, do you know what? Not going to reinvent the wheel or anything. It's boilerplate three-star material, but it's decently fun enough. There's a couple of good chuckles in there. You know, if you like seeing Cena let off the chain and go a bit wild, which is always good fun. It's it's kind of the you, me, and Dupree kind of dynamic, but, you know, with a married couple. And both Hagner and, uh, and Cena, you know, let rip. Buscemi's a, a nice added value element for this one. Uh, my personal favourite new element of this, though, is uh, Ronnie Cheng uh, from from The Daily Show. And I think he turned up recently in Joyride. He's in Crazy Rich Asians as well. And he, he plays the smug Asian businessman quite well. You know, the smug Asian playboy type, play, or playboy business, but here a little bit more buttoned down. Uh, this is, I think, a bit more in line with his Crazy Rich Asians character, actually. And uh, he's my favourite element of this one. It's in his sort of arc here. Is, you know, can he stand up to his you know female boss, I mean, the, the CEO of the company? Because, you know, in Chinese culture, they, they don't do that. And, and I really liked him in this. But having said that, like I say, this is not going to reinvent the wheel. It's 106 minutes. It's a little bit over long. Like you feel you could have clipped that 15 off and just had this at a tight 90. Like it would have been, it would have been a lot more efficient. I think as a tight 90 minuter. But if you are someone, it's about as good as the first one. And if you are someone who liked that first one, then you know you're in good stead. You're getting a pretty decent sequel to the first one, like on on its own merits. I'm saying that on the merits of the first one, it's a pretty decent sequel. Having said that, if you don't like the first movie, it's a pretty decent sequel to that first movie in and of its merits, so you pretty much know you're not going to enjoy this one either. But you know what? I thought the first one, boilerplate three-star, but otherwise pretty fine. This one, boilerplate three-star, pretty fine. I can't complain about it. It's on streaming anyway, so it's not like anyone's you know going to regret putting out the ticket money on this. Is it is it one that you could just dive into without seeing the first one, or is there enough follow-on that you really could watch both? Oh, yeah, 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 totally. I mean, the only real continuity, because you get the gimmick of, you know, Vacation Friends. You know, it's in the title. You kind of know what the, the premise of this, what, you know, premise of this whole series is. Yeah. And other than uh, the sort of maitre d' character from the first movie, there is no real continuity to this. It's not like they refer back to events. They, they really don't. It's not that kind of a movie. I mean, Weekend at Bernie's 2 had more continuity to it than this. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, if you want to watch it, as Van said, you don't even need to leave the house because yeah. Vacation Friends 2 is on Disney Plus from today. All right, let's just have a quick look at some of the movies we're going to look at next week then on the show. Um, Man on the Run. Yeah, Man on the Run is, I'm really looking forward to this. This is a documentary. I'm hoping to get some interview time with the director of this as well. Um, this is uh, this is a documentary about this master extortionist who uh, pretty much, you know how they say the best place to hide is in plain sight? This yeah. guy really took that to heart. He not only hid in plain sight, this was like a financial criminal. He actually funded the Wolf of Wall Street, like the movie. Like he went on the red carpet, Wolf of Wall Street, arm around Lee. Leo, literally hiding in plain sight. This financial criminal. Look what look what I'm funding. You know, wow. that's what this guy did. 
Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. I've got a link to watch that this weekend. A Life on the Farm, I don't quite know that much about. Uh, Stella Lee is, uh, Greta Lee, sorry, is in Past Lives, which is getting really good reviews, uh, which is out next week, which I'm looking forward to. And of course, the heavy hitter for next week is the upcoming horror sequel, The Nun 2, None Harder. But I'm kidding. It's not called it's not called None Harder, it's just called None Two. I was gonna I, say I, that sounds like a blue movie, mate. Yeah, I, I would have liked that I would have liked None Two None Harder. Would have been it would have been a good sequel title, <laughs> I think, on this one. Two two none oh. two nunnery. But Well, uh, yeah. um, I'll tell you out of that little lot, I am really looking forward to Man on the Run. I honestly that that is the sort of movie that I would get. I'll, I will get into. you the link for that yourself. You should you should you should watch that one with me. I think you'd enjoy. At the hundred percent with you on that one. So um, yeah, we'll talk about all of those next week on the show. That is, of course, all we've got time for this week on Off Screen. We shall be back next week. Until then, I've been Adam Ball. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>